long ago in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Lucasfilm presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 113, Death Game, Star Wars, issue number 20, cover date, February 1979. Hello and welcome back to Marvel's Cosmic Comics presented by the comic book Time Machine. My name is Ben, Ben Avery, and yes, I haven't used this microphone to talk about these kind of comics in a while. It's been months and months and months. I I don't know how far to go with that, so I'm just going to stop right there. But uh, yeah, there's been... There's been some time where I haven't been focusing in on the Marvel's cosmic comics, and and that's uh, just facts of life. You know, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the, the facts of life. And in podcasting, the facts of life mean sometimes you just go a long period of time without casting a pod. <laughs> Uh, that's not to say I haven't been podcasting. I, I have been and uh, will be doing my, you know, I'm still doing the Marvel uh, podcast, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast over on Welcome to Level 7. And um, I'm still doing Strangers and Aliens. Uh, those are more pressing as far as time goes with Strangers and Aliens. It's more pressing because I have co-hosts that I'm working with. And with Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's pressing because every week there's an episode of something to talk about, sometimes two. And that's kind of what got me out of the habit of doing the Marvel Cosmic Comics. I, you know, I've been doing Comic Book Time Machine with some of the Swamp Monster stuff, and that's been good. But I've just been itching to get back to this, and I just figure, you know what? Ain't nothing to it but to do it, you know. If it's gonna happen, you got to do it. I, I can try, but uh, you know there <laughs> there is no try. It's only only do, and so that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to talk about Marvel's Cosmic Comics, which are the comic books that Marvel licensed and that um, that they uh, wor- that weren't from their stable of characters. So these are are books that have to do with um, books or movies or action figures or, um, you know, real life stuntmen. And those books then were, uh, they're just a different breed in, in a lot of ways. And they're just something that really interests me. And so, you know, doing the, the movie thing and, and doing the, you know, the human fly and, and all that. And so with... Uh, with this episode, we'll be talking about Star Wars. Um, in you know the next episode, we'll be talking about a couple other things we'll talk about in just a minute. Here's the deal, though. I'm changing the way we're releasing episodes here, and 
in some ways, it's just going to make things a little bit easier for me. And in other ways, it's going to allow more content to be coming out for Comic Book Time Machine. Um, and that is to do one issue per episode. Now, if you are listening to this on the Marvel Cosmic Comics only feed, you won't notice any difference because it'll just continue to be released as it's released. Um, each episode on the Marvel Cosmics, Cosmic Comics feed is just one issue and then the next episode is the next issue what we're talking about and so on and so forth but i'm i have been doing the the omnibus editions here on the comic book time machine feed i think i'm going to switch that up and and um just release release the episodes as they come so if there's a gap between this star wars and say the next episode which i think is going to be shogun warriors um the the omnibus edition won't have to wait even longer to get out. And this also will allow the content for comic book time machine to get out a little bit quicker as well and have more consistent content. Um, and by consistent, I mean more than, you know, once every month or whatever, uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not making any promises and, um, you know how you make God laugh, you tell him your plans sort of thing. But um, that's my, my plan right now. And so this episode is just going to be Star Wars issue number 20. This is not part of an omnibus edition. Uh, next episode will be, well, let, let's just jump into that because uh, February 1979 is a big month for Marvel's licensed books. It's a big month because as I look into my um, time machine, as we go back in time to the spinner rack at the uh, stoppy shoppy at the Canadian um, stoppy shoppy little convenience store that I used to go to when I would uh, buy my comics back in, in the old days um, looking at, I guess they didn't have a spinner rack there. It was just a magazine rack. So looking at the magazine rack there at that old uh, comic shop, as I step out of my time machine and walk into the store uh, the books that are cover dated of February 1979, which means that they were released in November of 1978, the books are Star Wars number 20. There's Shogun Warriors number one, which is uh, exciting. We're, we're getting into that series. Uh, Micronauts issue number two is right there next to Shogun Warriors. So another um, Americanized version of some Japanese toys. Uh Human Fly, number 17, is right there. Uh, Godzilla, number 19. And then there's John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 21. And I do find it very interesting that three of these uh, actually are based on a Japanese property this month. So that is what we'll be looking at as we continue this uh, journey back in time to look at the Marvel books that were published by Marvel, but not originally created by marvel to be comic books like you know fantastic four or x-men or anything like that um yeah so we're gonna get started uh, i actually have in my hand uh the actual issue for star wars number 20 instead of uh looking uh, reading it in my omnibus edition i actually get to have the the newsprint with all the muddied colors in all of its glory and i'm going to start reading that right now and we'll come back after I play the sounder and we'll talk about the issue, what happens, and is it good? It feels good to be back in the saddle again. It feels good to be reading Star Wars comics again. Not that I minded the other stuff that I was reading and doing, uh, you know, 
leading up to this this point in time, but it was it just felt good to be reading Star Wars again. And I have a feeling I, I'm hoping anyway that uh, it'll be just as much fun to get back into you know Godzilla and get back into Human Fly and start up with Shogun Warriors and all that. But for right now, this was this was a good return for me. Um, I, I enjoyed reading Star Wars issue number twenty, Death Game. So uh, to discuss it, uh, I, we're just going to start with the cover and then talk about the story and and thoughts that I have in there. But the cover itself has the the classic the Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber in the um, the character box on the upper left hand corner. Uh, it's the 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 issue screams still only thirty five cents, which every time we go back in time, we're going to be feeling jealous about that. But we're feeling jealous about ourselves really is what it comes down to because you know those of us who were back back then alive back then we were able to uh uh enjoy that price tag and that price tag allowed me to get lots of comics because my mom was okay with you know just digging out a little bit of extra change and getting me a comic from the you know the grocery store comic book rack anyway uh there is a picture within a picture on the cover and we have uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 and two alien creatures looking at a view screen. And on the view screen, there is Han Solo laying in the dirt and you have a giant monster with four arms and with, uh, well, they look like fangs or claws or something that he's carrying. Um, he has his own fangs that are really, really long. Like they're the kind of fangs that I don't know how he's not like cutting up his chest. With, you know, he just like, uh, you know, stomp on his toe and he looks down and he's going to stab himself with those teeth. Uh, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you, you get used to it. I mean, you're born and maybe they're born with these fangs or, or maybe they, uh, you know, grow over time, but whatever it is, you know, you get used to it. I'm, I'm sure, that it's the kind of thing that, you know, I, I just look at it and think to myself, what long, unnatural teeth. And they really do look like they're just going to dig right into his pecs when he, when he looks down, um, you know, to pick his toenails or something like that. Um, it Actually, when I, you know, talking about teeth, it just reminds me of the Punisher uh, symbol, the Punisher emblem. Uh, whenever I'm driving and I see a car with a Punisher skull, sticker on the back of it i just think to myself you know that is one funky looking dude whose skull looks like that and whose top teeth are that long so anyway uh c3po is saying captain solo is doomed r2 and there's no way we can help him and then at the bottom it has the title of the story death game uh, and of course adventures beyond the greatest space fantasy film of all is along the top and as we look then into the issue itself, we are continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. And we have our our team. Our team is Archie Goodwin, who's the writer and editor. And then it's also Carmine Infantino and Bob Wysak, artists John Costanza. Costanza. That one's for you, Pat Sampson of the Long Box Crusade. Uh, he did the lettering. George Russos did the coloring and Jim Shooter was the consulting editor. 
the writer editor arrangement is very interesting to me, but um, I personally, I just, I, <laughs> I've done a couple projects recently for work where I just had to write something and write it really, really fast and get it done really, really quick. And there was no time. I mean, it was pretty much from my brain to the computer to the recording studio. And I just, you need an editor. You, you need an editor. And I, the, the writer editor position, um, well, I'm just glad he has a consulting editor, but this thing, this, this piece of work, this comic here did not suffer from the writer editor arrangement. It just, it didn't, it, it's, it's pretty decent. Uh, the teaser for this issue is that there's an X-Wing attacking a pleasure yacht near the wheel, which is the, uh, casino space station location from the previous issue. Uh, the pleasure yacht is attacked by the X-Wing, but the X-Wing gets attacked by TIE fighters and gets destroyed uh, while people on the wheel are watching. And they're extremely pleased to see that the Empire is looking out for them. Princess Leia, on the other hand, is with Grey Shade. He's a former Imperial senator who now runs the wheel, and she's disgusted because he's going along with this Imperial scheme to frame the rebellion for the attacks. That's right. The Rebellion is not attacking the pleasure yachts and all the people around the wheel. It is a, a scheme by the Empire to, to make the, the Rebels look bad with the regular people. And, and it's working right now. Uh, she's so upset, though, that she swipes aside the meal that's been laid out for her and knocks over the table and uh, through the whole mess... Um, that allows her to get a knife, and so she uh, gets the knife, and she, she's going to use that later. This is it's Chekhov's knife. I mean, once you see it, you you know it's going to get some use later. Uh, Gray Shade, you see, is in cahoots with Commander Strom. Strom is the the Imperial in charge of the area, and you know when bad guys work with bad guys, both will fall into a pit. Uh, they are just. They're not they're not suited to each other and they don't get along very well. And it, it's everything you'd expect for a corrupt former senator who is now running a casino working with a corrupt imperial commander who is now heading up a, a smear campaign against the rebellion. Uh, unfortunately for Grayshade, he is the one with less power in this situation, and he has not lived up to Strom's expectations because the rebels that are on the wheel are still alive. For example, you have Leia, of course, who's a prisoner. Even though they were giving her a nice meal, she is a prisoner and a guest. The guest part is the, the kind of guest who's just not allowed to leave ever. Uh, Luke is in a medical center uh he's unconscious and they're going to make sure that he doesn't wake up uh he's unconscious from the way he reached out with the force recently in the last issue chewbacca and han solo are enlisted as gladiators they are going to be part of the gladiator games that the wheel does and c-3po and r2d2 are in storage because they were used as collateral against han solo's gambling that he was doing that got him placed in that gladiatorial arrangement to begin with they are now going to be first uh their computer memories are going to be wiped and then they're going to be melted to slag i don't know why you have to wipe the memory before you melt them 
But that's just the way that this story is going to go. I, I would think that just by melting them, that would also take care of the memory issues. But anyway, they basically everyone is doomed except for Leia. Uh, Leia is just meant to be a prisoner. Everyone else, there are um, Gray Shade has doom on his mind when he thinks of them. So Han Solo is sent to fight a, gladi- a gladiator that way outclasses him. The gladiator is the creature from the front cover, and he has four arms. He has the spike teeth thing. He has these, they're called dagger thorns, and they are poisonous. And he has one in each of his hands, and just a mere scratch can kill you. And he has these things for weapons. Han Solo has a shield and a mace. They are both uh, powered weapons they have some sort of power running through them electrical power or something else but um they they have glowing effects on them and he they fight uh he actually breaks the mace on the on the alien he hits the alien so hard that the mace breaks and it doesn't matter uh the alien doesn't even doesn't even bother him doesn't phase him at all and we get this very interesting two-page spread where you have um panels going across the top and then one panel across the bottom of both of these pages and it's really cool when you turn the page and you see this the bottom panel is the creature kicking han solo and the sound effect is kawud and i think that wins for this month's uh best special effect of the month I haven't read any of the other issues that I'm going to be covering for this month of the Marvel's Cosmic Comics, the cover date February. Uh, but Kawud, as a giant, massive foot kick slamming into someone's body, I mean, how can that not win special effect of the month? The droids, meanwhile, like I said, are, are going to be taken away to have their memory wiped and then be melted. Uh, but Mastercom, that is, Mastercom is basically the um, the butler, <laughs> the butler robot for for Gray Shade. Uh, he comes along and he stops the the uh, people from taking C three PO and R two D two just as they're about to be taken to be melted down. And he says. Um, the droids are the study or the subjects of a study I'm conducting. They must come with me. And um, the guy says, well, I don't like machines pulling rank on me, but since you're the wheels master computer, or at least Senator Grayshade's or Grayshade's uh, walking personalized version of the master computer, I guess I don't have much choice. And then uh, Mastercom explains to C-3PO his reasoning. Uh, C-3PO says, I don't know about any studies. And, and Mastercom says, the study is my own and I'm conducting it on very dubious authority. Your initiative on behalf of your young master from the time you arrived on the wheel has been fascinating. I requested permission from the senator to observe you. And while he did not specifically grant it, he did not specifically deny it either. And C-3PO says, purest logic. Um, but then uh, Mastercom gets taken away by, uh, there's an alarm. Princess Leia has escaped. And so Mastercom must leave them. He can't help them anymore. This is where his help will stop. Uh, but he is going to go and actually tell Grayshade himself what is happening. And he lets C3PO and R2D2 go. So um <laughs> it's uh that's bad news for Grayshade, Princess Leia escaping. Uh it's also bad news for Grayshade that uh, C3PO and R2D2 uh are also free. Uh, more bad news for Grayshade, and that is Han Solo's battle. 
uh, he made the creature fall by throwing his shield and it like zapped the metal studs on the guy's on the creature's boot and caused the thing to trip. He falls, the creature falls and lands on the poisonous dagger. Now the creature knows it's going to die, but it still gets up and just tries to stab Han Solo. Um, it's just kind of that um, that Wrath of Khan where, where Khan says from Hell's Heart, I stab at thee. You know, he's, he's dying, but he doesn't care. He's going to take everyone down with him. Uh, it falls as it's going to stab Han Solo. Han Solo would die if, I mean, the guy doesn't have to even really stab well. He just has to scratch uh, because, I mean, the monster, it was only a scratch when it fell on its own own daggers. But Han is able to get a rock, put it up just in time, and block the dagger thorn. He has survived. And Strom is not happy. But Gray Shade says, don't worry. Um, yeah, Strom says, Gray Shade, you smooth-mouthed fumbler, what went wrong? And Grayshade says, I'm not certain, Strom, but bear in mind, this was only a preliminary match. Solo must still endure the main event. And then it says, next issue, uh, as Han faces that challenge, Luke comes under the shadow of a Dark Lord. Well, who is that Dark Lord? Well, we will find out when we next go back in time. But for now, I'm, I like the gladiator idea here. Um... I like the way that they get all separated uh, and they're all kind of in their own places where they're, where they have to find ways to help each other. Um, C-3PO and R2-D2 are going to, I'm sure going to go and find Luke and try and help Luke. Princess Leia, she's out running around. She's, she's able to, you know, put more uh, gum in the works as they say. Uh, I think they say, well, if they don't say it, I, I just said it. So, so now I, I'm, I say it, but anyway, uh, this story, it's moving along, and I'm enjoying it. It's a good story. Um, and I, I think when you consider, like, what kind of stories can you tell with these characters, uh, there's a lot of different places that you could go, and some of them might be kind of dumb. Well, this is not one of those dumb kind of places. And so once again, you know, we have a story arc coming out of that original movie, uh, taking these characters and, and making up the world. Uh making up things in the the universe of star wars that at least in my opinion i think are safe to create you know this this wheel thing it's it's not like he's creating uh, a whole governmental system for the empire that doesn't go along with the movie instead what he's doing is kind of building on what he knows about and uh making these logical conclusions and then creating something that's big enough to be a threat and creating characters that are, are um, threatening enough to cause you to say, well, what could, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? Um, but aren't big enough that when you watch the next movie, you're thinking, well, why don't we see this? Why don't we see this? Um, there aren't, there aren't that kind of changes happening here. The wheel itself is kind of a interesting uh, concept, sci-fi concept, and it's typical in some ways. I mean, what happens? What's the first thing that happens in Battlestar Galactica after they escape and, and they're headed out into space, to trying to flee from the Cylons? They stop at the the gambling planet, the casino planet, um, and then of course there's the casino in Last Jedi, which is um, you know really kind of interesting to me, just the timing of of this issue and and my reading of it here and and that movie. Uh, but this place is so big that they actually have rocket sleds to take you from one place to another. And it's also so big that Star Destroyers can dock at it. 
Um, the art, what I find interesting about the art, you know, with Carmine Infantino's artwork here, uh, and he is, I know him best for his work on The Flash. That's where I know his work is from just these random issues of The Flash that I had growing up. Flash wasn't a character I was all that interested in, but somehow I ended up with a handful of issues. And and Carmen Infantino was the artist on that. And uh, it makes sense because he has so much motion in his artwork. Uh, I would go so far as to say maybe too much motion in his artwork. Uh, there are sometimes the, the characters are drawn in ways that just aren't uh, physically possible. Um, bodies don't move like that. The, the way that he, they're, they're constantly kind of leaning backward. I, I think that's, that's the key is there's just this constant leaning backward as they're doing things. And, you know, as they're like getting away from someone and, and someone's shooting at them, they lean backward. But when he draws them running, then they're leaning forward um, the motion is is realistic then. And so whenever I read a comic by Carmine Infantino, uh, especially now that I'm reading these Star Wars comics, um, there's just this kind of back and forth in my mind of that doesn't look right. Oh, that looks really cool. That doesn't feel right. Oh, that's really neat. Uh, and then the other thing that happens is his R2-D2 is <laughs> just, just off. And his Chewbacca. Oh my goodness. It, it, it doesn't work. So anyway, the last thing I wanted to talk about was the letters page. And the letters page had some interesting letters in it, which is what they try to do, obviously. Um, the one letter, um, it says, uh, Dear Marvel Gang, this is from uh, someone named Trisha. She says, Thank you for continuing beyond the movie. You've started me buying comics again. I have one large gripe. I hope you'll take into consideration for future issues. It is every woman you draw comes out looking like a, a Charlie's angel. <laughs> Look at Princess Leia in her turtleneck gown. So keep it respectable, guys. And then she talks about Jax and Amazia and how um, issue 16 was fantastic, uh, even though it was a fill-in story. And... Uh, another one, the first uh, letter also really liked 16, um, and actually says more like 16, which is, um, that was the issue where the characters weren't even in it. It was, it was just, uh, the, the cyborg guy and also Jackson and, and Amaza came, came into it. Uh, but, uh, David from Deer Creek, Oklahoma wrote in to say, Dear Archie, regarding Star Wars number 16, let's have no more of this. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. But the most interesting thing in the letters page was this. It was a letter from Roy Thomas. And he says, Dear Archie, unaccustomed as I am to writing fan letters, I haven't written one to a Marvel mag since I joined the bullpen more than 13 years ago as staff writer, assistant editor, and gopher. I had to break the silence of a baker's dozen of years to comment on the truly fine work you and your artistic compers are doing on Star Wars since Howie Chaykin and I left. When a writer or artist or writer editor or whatever quits a particular magazine for whatever reason, he usually looks back in not inconsiderable horror at what others do to it later. At least I know this has been true with me on a number of occasions, and it was probably true of Stan Lee when he gave me the Hulk, or you, the Fantastic Four, for a few issues, or Jerry Conway Spider-Man. Sometimes I find that the best remedy for such feelings is simply to not read that comic book for a while, to give my own 
links with the mag a chance to dissolve on their own accord. Not so with Star Wars, however. I was curious to see what you and Carmine Infantino, a long favorite artist of mine, would do. I was even more pleasantly surprised than I thought I would be. Not only has the Infantino Austin art and the Simonson Wyasek art in number 16 been fabulous and probably just what the mag needed, but instead of simply ignoring or overturning the developments, Howie and I had added in our necessarily interim issues 7 through 10, you added them to your own intriguing plot lines, such as the water world, to come up with a series of issues after my own heart, and doubtless those of many others as well. First off, it was great to see Crimson Jack and Jolly appear again. I'm a bit sorry you killed off CJ, but that's showbiz. At any rate, you built on what Howie and I established in number seven without demolishing any of it and turned in a fine story. Naturally, since Jack's the, quote, Rocket Rabbit was an even more beloved creation of mine, and since Amaza was and is a great foil for him, I'm even happier with number 16's story. Admittedly a filler to keep the droids and Wookiees at bay for an issue or two while you get your bearings. Jack's was developed almost exactly the way I wanted to see him turn out. Complete to baddies with names, Fudd and Daffy, that even I, the... The most cornball of space opera scripters would not have dared attempted. Uh, but you did, and you pulled it off. For some reason, I've always had an affinity for green things as long as they were in comic books, not in a garden. The Incredible Hulk, The Impossible, Impossible Man, and now Jax. My only request is that if there's ever to be a series of Jax stories, you don't write it yourself. I get a crack at it. I was really quite fond of the fellow. I'm even fonder of what you've done with him. All this, and you've now joined me in the... Si- <laughs> The serried ranks of the few people who spell Wookiee the way that George Lucas always did. The mind boggles, keep on trekking or Warren or whatever, Roy Thomas. And I just found that really interesting that you got to hear Roy Thomas's um, gushing praise. Uh, and I'm glad I had the actual issue instead of just the graphic novel collection so I could see that letter. And, you know, I, I'm assuming he really meant what he's saying here. Um and it's not just, uh, you know, public relations cover up or something like that. So anyway, that is this issue, Star Wars number 20. And in the next episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics, we will be talking about Shogun Warriors number one. However, um, that won't be necessarily the next issue of Comic Book Time Machine. And so, yeah, if you're listening to the Marvel Cosmic Comics feed by itself, then um, you don't have to worry about it. The next, next thing you hear will be uh, Shogun Warriors, and I'm probably not going to talk much more about uh, things like that in this Marvel Cosmic Comics run. Um, but there will be other things on the Comic Book Time Machine docket, um, which in, will include um, some Swamp stuff and some Fantastic Four-related material. And yeah. Oh, and Hercules. I just read a really good issue of Marvel. I think it's Marvel premiere. Uh, it was a one shot, one off of uh, a Hercules story. And it was really, really good. I love Hercules. Hercules is one of my favorite characters. And actually the more I've been thinking about how much I love Hercules as a character, the more I realize I can actually write Hercules stuff. That character is public domain. I can, I can take that on and and do my own thing with that if I wanted to. Um, I don't know if I'll ever do a comic book about it. I mean, uh, that would involve finding an artist who'd be willing to work with me on it. But there could be some interesting stuff to do there. So anyway, that is that. So thank you so much for listening. Um, Yeah, 
And until next time, may the Force be with you, and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Coming soon, Invincible Guardians of World Freedom, Shogun Warriors first issue collector's item. Welcome to And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars is my show. Well, you're part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? (sighs) I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me Those... Including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode. On Give Me Those Star Wars... The official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com.